Blog Talk Radio. Do you want to elevate your mind? Do you want to shift your life? Well, sit back and relax. It's time for another episode of The Shift with Skip. Get ready to roll. Hey everyone, get ready to roll and welcome to The Shift. I am Skip Jennings, your transformational host here for the next 45 minutes and we are going to shift our lives. And as I say at the end of the show, be the shift you want to see in your life. Um, And I'm grateful to be able to have my own transformation as I do this amazing um, work that I love to do. Uh, This radio show is, is a work of passion and love for me. And I believe that this is how I can get information out to you guys who follow me through Facebook, Twitter, and all the other social medias that we do. Um, through emails, whatever, I get a chance to um, find great hosts or, excuse me, find great guests and um, bring them on and and let's talk about shifting this planet. I believe that we can have a shift in our own life, but we are going to have a domino effect with the shift that we choose to have and it will affect the rest of the planet. So happy shift day and welcome and welcome and welcome. So today we're talking about giving back. And we're talking about making a difference on the planet. And as you know, for the last two and a half years, I've been talking about it's time for us to make a difference, and we are the people to do it. So we're going to talk all about that today, and I'm grateful for that. But before we jump into our conversation, we're going to talk about how are you giving back and our journaling exercise for us today and the opportunity to, to, to think about how are we giving back on this planet and what type of ideas do you have in your, your own consciousness about giving back. So this week what I want you to do is take time to start to journal about ways that you can make a difference. And it doesn't have to be on a grand scale. It can be on little tiny scales. You can do simple things like giving, you know, random acts of kindness is one of the things I love to do. And and just maybe paying the meter when you see someone's meter is ran in the red and you know they're going to get a ticket, drop a quarter. And that's a great way to give back or giving a smile when you're in the grocery store or saying hi to your neighbor and taking time to say how are you and listening listening to their response, or you can support a great cause, which I believe that once we have reached a certain level of success, we must support other causes that are out there, other companies that are looking to make a difference. So I'm a big supporter of different causes. So I want you to begin to journal and and see where you can make a difference. Um, I believe that we will make a change on this planet one cause at a time or one moment at a time or one random act of kindness at a time, and we make the difference. So that's what I want you to do this week. Hit us up on Facebook. It is a shift with Skip Jennings on Facebook and, and Twitter. I want you to tweet us. It's a shift with Skip, and that is our handle on Twitter. And you can always hit us up on my website at skipjennings.com. Remember, you can listen to all the shows that we've done the last couple of years on demand through my website, skipjennings.com, backslash, or excuse me, slash the shift with Skip. Click on that, and all our episodes for the last two and a half years are up there. Some great back episodes that we have done. Um, a couple of things really quickly I wanted to bring uh, your attention to. We are in the fitness 
convention time and it's starting now and you know you guys know I'm a part of the Mania Fitness Conventions and the Mania Fitness Pro Conventions are all over the country. So we're traveling and this weekend we kick it off in Philadelphia. Philadelphia Mania, we will be there and um it's going to be a wonderful show. So if you are a fitness pro or not a fitness pro and you want to come and see some great presenters from all over the world, literally from all over the world. We will be there in Philadelphia, um, February 20th through the 22nd. And then we are traveling to San Francisco, March 27th through the 29th, Orlando, Florida, May 1st through the 3rd. And then Atlanta, Georgia, we're coming out to Atlanta, which my family, some of my family's from, from Atlanta, which I love, Atlanta Mania, and that's going to be July 10th through the 12th. Dallas, we're coming your way August 28th through the 30th, and then Midwest, which is our Chicago Mania tour, we will be there September 25th through the 27th. All my engagements will be up on my website in the next couple of days, so you guys will be able to click on that and find out more information where I'll be speaking live, doing uh, different types of workshops from motivation to inspiration to fitness to yoga to cycling. So I'll be doing quite a bit on the road this year. And what I want to talk to you about is Chicago um, Fusion. Chicago Fusion is coming up, and that's going to be um, coming up in March, March 5th through the 8th in Chicago. If you go to, if you go to the Fusion website, it is um, – um, Empower Fusion or EmpowerFitness.com. You can find out more information about the Empower workshops that we'll be doing in conventions. So I'm looking forward to seeing you guys out on the road this year. And um, that's it. That's it. Kind of it. Or don't forget to go to the website and you can pick up DVDs and books and all that stuff and connect with me. So, but enough about the, about me. We're going to jump into our conversation. And my guest today is Christina Tester, and she is an amazing inspiration for me. I, I'm getting to know her and the work that she's doing on this planet. She's a graduate of Harvard University. She graduated last year, but before even going to Harvard, she did some really super amazing things as a young person, and she's bringing that heart of philanthropy into her adult life, and I'm just so proud of the work that she's doing. She's the executive director of so others may learn, and you can find out more information about so others may learn at so others may And it's a nonprofit organization based in Zimbabwe and Uganda, and is dedicated to providing a bright and motivated students with an opportunity to further their education. And that's a great way because I believe education is power, and a lot of our you know. Uh, issues that we have on this planet is because our our kids are not being educated. But I'm going to talk a little bit more about that. But she is just a wonderful person. I'm glad to have her online. So I'm going to welcome her to the show. Hey, Christina, how are you? Hi, Skip. Thank you so much for having me on here today. Oh, thank you for taking time out of your very busy, busy schedule. I will never, ever say I'm busy again after reading all the things that you're doing. My sister, you are very, very busy. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so grateful to have the chance to speak with you today about So Others May Learn and about, you know, giving back and random acts of kindness as you were talking about. So thank you so much. Well, I'm glad I'm glad that you're 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 taking the time out. Um, one of the first things I want to ask, first of all, and which is I'm very very curious, how did your journey start in giving back? What was the first thing that you realized that you could actually make a difference? When did you have your first aha moment that you could change this planet? You know, I think I had two I two aha moments that really 
um, sh shifted, uh, not to use that term colloquially at all, but really shifted the you way I... You can use it. You can use it as much as you want. <laughs> <laughs> the, way I, uh, the way I view sort of my, my place on the planet and the importance of giving back. Um, the first happened when I was about nine years old. Uh, my mother is a child abuse prosecutor um, at Hennepin County Attorney's Office in Minnesota. And when I was pretty little, she, she, would, she was very open with my sister and I about the work that she did. And she told us a lot about the foster kids that she worked with, who, you know, oftentimes placed out of their homes on very short notice and placed in foster care and shelters and are often given, you know, less than five minutes to pack up their belongings and evacuate their homes and their families. Um, and I remember hearing about that and really being shaken to my core. And I think it was that I was around a similar age as a lot of the kids she was talking about. Um, and that's something that I'll come back to again, you know, being able to relate to the causes and the people that you're passionate about helping. But I remember just being absolutely shaken to my core at the fact that there were kids like me who, in a course of five minutes, could have their entire life changed and were given less than five minutes to sort of collect their life and bring it with them. And what really struck me was when she told me that, you know, Christina, a lot of these kids are putting their belongings in garbage bags. They're given garbage bags by the police and are collecting their things and then moving moving out of their homes probably for good. And my twin sister and I sat down um, that night at the dinner table and decided that no kid should have to put their belongings and their prized possessions in garbage bags. Um, and so we started collecting duffel bags to donate to St. Joseph's Home for Children and a number of other shelters in the area so that when kids were being picked up by the police, they could actually have you know, a duffel bag to put their belongings in. Um, wow. And that was, I think, sort of the first, the first time that something really touched me in a way that made me think, wow, there's a community outside of, of just my nuclear family and my school and my very you know, privileged life, and, and I want to be able to give back in a way that I can. So let's let's hold on hold on for just one second. As a nine year old, did you have any idea of how to do it? I mean, I, we all have these great ideas. I have great ideas all the time, but I I have to turn to someone and go, okay, this is my idea, this is what I want to do. How do I do it? How do, did you have any idea how you were going to put this? I'm going <clears> to <throat> this act of kindness into play. Well, you know, I think I think part of part of the reason it was it was easy to put into action is that it was a very tangible need that was very easily fixed. You know, we weren't talking about sort of reforming an entire structure or, or system. We were talking about, you know, raising money for duffel bags or collecting duffel bags. And it involved putting some front work in, right, some legwork, calling people, you know, talking, speaking at churches and schools and explaining the need. But I have always found that a simple explanation of the need is more than enough to really inspire people to give back and yeah. you know most of the time all that I do is just is just articulate the need and I have found the communities that I've lived in and worked with to be so incredibly generous so I think mm. I think identifying sometimes tangible needs is is one thing and then also just being able to articulate a need in a way that people can resonate with wow that's that's pretty amazing and you said you had a second aha moment I did, I did, and I think I like to start the, you know, this next sort of part of the story by identifying a phrase I call winning the geographic lottery. Um, mm. I had the privilege solely because of where I was born of growing up never having to think about whether or not I would go to school. You know, to me, until I was 14, I didn't think of my education as a privilege. I thought of it as a right. And the fact that I was able to wake up every morning and spend eight hours a day learning about the world and about my place in it was never questioned. Uh, that changed, though, when my family took a trip to sub-Saharan Africa when I was in eighth grade. 
uh, during a part of our trip, we visited a primary school in a really remote rural part of Zimbabwe. Um, and as I mentioned, I was in eighth grade at the time, and I spent the day with eighth graders at that primary school. Um, to give you an idea of what this school looked like, the building was a one-room, dirt floor, concrete block. Uh, it had no running water, no electricity, barely any school supplies. You know, there was a chalkboard, there were some wooden benches, and there was a series of outdated textbooks that were shared between the students. Um, and to give you an idea of these students, you know, all of them were about a half a foot shorter than I was due to stunting and malnutrition. Um, mm. Their heads were shaved to prevent the spread of lice, and most of them had walked over five kilometers to get to school that day. Many of these students were the first in their families to ever learn how to read or to step foot in a classroom. And I share this with you not to make you pity them, but rather to impress upon you how amazing it is that despite all the obstacles they faced, I can tell you without a degree of hesitation that the eighth graders I spent the day with there were some of the most motivated, intellectual, and inspiring young people I'd ever met. Um, they were writing essays on industrialization in perfect English, learning trigonometry and expressing to me their desires to become doctors, lawyers, teachers, anthropologists, pilots, you name it. Um, and at the end of the day with them, the end of my time with them, I asked their headmaster how many of them would move on to secondary school. And what he said really for me was the catalyst for so others may learn in my work today. Uh, he said, Christina, 98% of these students will pass their secondary school entrance exams, but less than 2% will be able to continue on to high school because they don't have the funds to pay for tuition. And even if they did have the funds, the nearest secondary school was over 12 kilometers away. And though many of the students try to make the walk there and back, it just becomes too difficult. And, you know, Skip, it was at that moment that I really had a paradigm shift. I realized how incredibly arbitrary and ultimately unfair it was that these students, based solely on where they were born in the world, would never have the opportunity to pursue their passions and dreams. Whereas my lottery ticket happened to place me on a different side of the planet with a world of opportunity at my fingertips. Um, and I decided I would try to raise money to send as many of those students I'd met that day on to secondary school. And that's really how So Others May Learn was born. So I, I, I love the the you know the quote that you use winning the geographic lottery because i think most of us here in america we have no clue i've never been to africa and it's one of the places that i it's at the very top of my list of places i want to go to um and and but i've lived pretty i lived in ireland i've lived in you know all over i've lived in d different places and i i think one of the things that we forget here in america and certain parts of america is that there are other things that are happening outside of our little nucleus place that we live like there is poverty and there is things that are going on there is the lack so winning that geographic lottery and going off to africa and, and expanding your consciousness and changing your paradigm your paradigm shift must have really touched the core of your soul it it absolutely did um and i think that it is difficult when we talk about making a change and, and making a difference and being inspired to give back because i think that you are most effective in giving back if you're giving back to something that you're passionate about and that you're inspired yep. by. And that inspiration mm -hmm. can take place on a local level, as it did with me when I was in, you know, nine years old and looking at duffel bags and St. Mm -hmm. Joseph's. Um, and it can also take place, you know, in an experience abroad. And I think it's when people talk about, you know, ranking charities or ranking ways to give back, I don't believe in that. I think that it's, I think that it comes down to what you are inspired by. And as long as you follow right. that inspiration and follow it through to fruition, um, you can have a real positive impact. Exactly. One of the things that I got a chance to do last weekend, we're, I'm part of um, Cycle for Survival. It's a cancer research um, that, that supports the um, Memorial Sloan Kettering. Um, 
and for research. And one of the things that I do working with Equinauts, we have a big fundraiser that we do um, called Cycle for Survival. And it's a cycling um, it's a big class. It's a big event, and we raise money right now. We're at over 14 million. We're probably close to 15 million today. And last week, I had a chance to um, raise $10,000 with um, Wells Fargo, which was a big event, um, two hours, and we raised $10,000. And thank you, Wells Fargo, out there. I know some of you guys are listening right now. Um, one of the things that I, for me, that affected me so much why cancer research is so important is because I've had six uncles and aunts pass away from cancer, rare cancer, and it touches me in the core when um, I, I, get to cha- I get to help something that I'm passionate about. So how would you tell one of our, our, our listeners who are trying to find their passion, what was the thing that you can inspire someone to find their passion for giving back? Well, I think it starts by exposure. Um, yeah. I think that yeah. breaking out of your comfort zone is the first step to figuring out what you're passionate about because oftentimes, mm-hmm. you know, we, we live the majority of our lives within our comfort zone. Um, and right. stability is a key part of being able to live and function in an everyday life. But it also really precludes us from exposing ourselves to situations that terrify us and that stretch us and that make us think. And it's in those situations that you have the room for growth and the room for, I think, inspiration. Um, And I think that you can stretch yourself out of your comfort zone, not by, you know, going across the world, although that is one way to do it. You can stretch it by volunteering someplace or in some community you haven't been before, by taking a new language, by taking a new class. I'm a huge believer in lifelong learning. Um, As someone who just recently signed up for two online classes because I couldn't quite graduate from college and and fully leave the academic community. But um, (laughs) I just signed up for an art class. I'm taking art class on a Monday night just to get my creative juices going again. And um, I I believe in long, you know, for the rest of your life, we're going to be learning, learning, learning. I, I agree. Absolutely. One of the questions I, I want to ask you, though, with Africa, what are the challenges you find in your work in Africa? I know some people are going, well, what about Ebola and what about all the diseases and the things that you do and, and things you can't do there? So what are some of your challenges that you had to overcome in, in, in choosing Africa and choosing Zimbabwe or Uganda or, or Africa as a whole? And why Africa? That's That's a great question. Honestly, that's probably the largest obstacle that So Others May Learn faces as a nonprofit, um, because there are so many problems here in the United States. Um, But I think I would say that, you know, when we look at at least educational opportunities in the States, and we look at educational opportunities across Sub-Saharan Africa, um, in Uganda and Mm -hmm. Zimbabwe particularly, we're talking about completely different scales. Um, You know, the Washington Post this April published a study that showed national high school graduation rates in the United States had surpassed 80%. And, you know, I am not, I'm the first to admit that there are huge economic disparities in our country, but the fact that 80% of our kids are able to go to school, and not only to go to school, but to graduate, is a real testament to the infrastructure that our country has. And that infrastructure just doesn't exist in many countries um, in sub-Saharan Africa. And it doesn't exist either because of political instability, because of economic instability, or just because of geographic location. You know, for Zimbabwe is a great example. You know, there's a huge divide economically between the urban populations and the rural populations. And mm-hmm. you might, you have, you know, a, a, a somewhat functioning educational system in Harare and Bulawayo and some of those larger cities, but there's just no means to get there for a large swath of the rural population. Um, but I think articulating that that scale and the fact that 
yes, there are problems here, and these the problems that exist in the United States and are 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 incredibly important. But we can't forget about the problems and the scales that exist across you know across the ocean, and those those scales are. I agree one hundred percent here. And one of the things that I always say to you know when I'm speaking and I'm talking about um, connection that you can't take sides on a round planet. You can't. We're all really (laughs) one planet. And and we're one planet, so when we actually help someone in Africa, we're actually helping ourselves because it's all connected. And the energy we put out is the energy we get back. So I, I, I applaud you for for that absolutely. And and I think there 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 needs to be even more of a push to really connect us to connect us in this way. So I, I really applaud you for that. Um, when it, let's talk about So Others May Learn. And um, I, love, I love that name. That name just hits me. It resonates with me in my soul, in my mind, in my spirit. Where did So Others May Learn come from? And tell us a little bit about your, 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 your nonprofit. Yeah, well, So Others May Learn is, you know, 501c3 uh, nonprofit. We were incorporated in 2008. Um, and we were incorporated really based on the experience that I shared with you earlier. Um, it started really by just raising money to send that class of eighth grade students that I had met in Zimbabwe on secondary school. Um, fast forward, you know, five, six years, and we are sponsoring over 40 students in both Uganda and Zimbabwe um, wow. via comprehensive scholarships. So we provide, um, we're committed to providing first a four-year scholarship. So if you are accepted into the program, we're going to, you know, protect you and follow through with you and make sure that you have the tools you need to succeed in high school for the next four years. Um, And in some cases, because, you know, the um, educational system is a little different in Africa, you have A and O levels, um, which follow more of the British system. So -hmm. in some cases, we'll sponsor up to six years. Um, And those scholarships are comprehensive. So we provide them not only with tuition, but also with the fees for room and board, um, for all the school supplies and books they might need, and also for transportation uh, to and from to visit their families. And I highlight that because I think it's something that often goes underlooked, but a huge part right. of, a huge barrier we have. You know, you were asking earlier about barriers um, to working in, in these communities, and one of them is that uh, teaching and appreciating the need um, for education within the, the parental community that, that these students live in is really important. You know, having buy-in from the parents as to why it's important to send their kids to boarding school for four years is a challenge, mm-hmm. and making sure that those kids are able to come home and share their experiences at school with their families and their local communities, we have seen to make a really big difference in retention rates. Um, but the kicker is that all of this comprehensive scholarship um, for four years is $1,200. So we're talking about you know $400 a year to provide a student with education. And that's really all we do. I, I hesitate to say anything more because it's really not complicated, and they put in the majority of the work. All we do is provide the opportunity for them to pursue their passions, and we have some incredible, incredible students out there. One of our, actually, in fact, just this January, um, Alan Agaba from Rukunjiri, Uganda, one of our scholarship students who is a double orphan, so he lost both of his parents, um, mm-hmm. And we've been sponsoring him for three years now, and he just scored the top score in the entire country on his national exams. Um, And this is a kid that was not going to continue on to primary school um, and was going to have to drop out and most likely live in the streets. Um, And because of the scholarship and because of this opportunity, he is now destined for whatever he wants to do in life. And currently that's to become a pilot, so... 
You know, it's it's so funny. I, you know, my my best friend uh, Bill just he's listening to the show right now. He just texted me and said, "We need to raise some money for this for for you." So we're we're going to do our very best, and then people are listening, <laughs> and we want to support you through this. Um, one of the things that that comes to mind is the, you know, Oprah Winfrey has her Leadership Academy for for girls in South Africa, and here you are doing what you're doing on this side. But what and 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 I I studied a little bit about Oprah's school because I wanted to support Oprah and and what she's doing. Doing. Um, and she has some very, you know, strict requirements and hard requirements to get into the school because there's so much of a need. What is what are the requirements that you have for people to join your program? And because um, you, you you can't you know help everyone, but although you are helping everyone, because once they learn, hopefully they're going to pass on as well. So what are some of the requirements that you have for people to come into your program in Africa? Sure. So the scholarships that we provide are academically based, um, similar to Oprah Winfrey's Academy. So we work with our in-country coordinators to identify students who have not only done very well academically, and by that, you know, we have a loose definition because, like I said, we do commit to sponsoring our kids for all four years, um, but we ask that they maintain a GPA that's in the top 10% of their class. Um, and if that fluctuates, we work with them to make sure it stays up there for the next semester. Um, but we work with our coordinators Great. to identify students who have expressed a commitment to studying. Um, and then if there are special circumstances, so for instance, we sponsor um, a number of students who have medical conditions like HIV and need to be close to a hospital. Um, mm-hmm. Those medical conditions will also, you know, will also warrant sort of a holistic approach to the sponsorship and to maintaining the requirements. So we do, we are an academic scholarship, but we recognize that there are difficulties that, you know, come up and also difficulties that I, as someone sitting here in a Boston office in Mass General Hospital can never fathom. Um, And so we try to be really flexible and accommodating. So, and and I'm I'm on your website right now for it's $1 a day. That's going to help students. Yeah. $1 a day. One dollar a day. If you do it in a dollar and nine cents specifically, but a dollar a day, you can sponsor a child for for all four years for a year. Um, and I think it's it's that number that really is what makes so others may learn so exciting for me because it is a low cost, high impact organization. And mm. you know when we talk about and I think the you know the four hundred dollars is is a good number because it's a number that is accessible for students to raise money for here in the states as well. You know we really look right. for inspiring right. primary school here in the United States to sponsor a classroom or sponsor a student. And we've had some incredible drives in Minnesota, in Washington, D.C., in Colorado of classrooms of eighth grade students who have said, you know, I'm going to sponsor Thola Kelly or I'm going to sponsor Alan Agaba and have raised that money. And they've done it, you know, by, by doing chores and by working after school. And that's one of my favorite parts of this organization is the fact that you have student to student support from across the world. So if someone wants to, because I, I've donated already, but I'm going to donate again, and I'm, I'm I want to raise money for 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 your organization. So you have my commitment. But if someone wants to donate, um, is it on a recurring donation or is it one-time donation? How how does how would one come and and donate to to so others may learn? Absolutely. So the first thing I'll stress is that we are a zero overhead um, organization. So 100% of whatever wow. you donate goes directly to our scholarship students. Um, and that is completely thanks to our incredible board of directors and our in-country coordinators and the staff um, who go above and beyond um, to make sure that every penny you donate goes to a child sponsorship. Um, and so you can donate directly on our PayPal uh, webpage. 
And you can earmark a donation. So if there's a particular child that's on the website that you meet and want to donate, um, you can donate to them. You can specify which country you'd like to donate to. If your heart is, you know, more inclined towards Zimbabwe or Uganda, you can specify mm -hmm. that. Um, and you can also, you know, decide to sponsor for a year or to commit to four years. Uh, if you commit to four years, we typically ask that you, you know, do 50% of that up front so that we don't have a child's expectations raised only, you know, only to be able to have to scramble to, um, to fund them in the future. But we have people right. um, donating on all different spectrums and on all different sort of levels. And again, you know, for a dollar and nine cents a day, it really is a really reasonable way to make a difference in this world and in a child's life. So the life. total for a year is how much? Total for the, for the year? For, for a for child? For one year, $400. $400. That's it. Listeners, you've got to do it. I'm, 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 I'm inviting you guys to make a difference here. And uh, let's let's. Let's do this. Let's do it. <laughs> I, I, it's really exciting. Um, you know, um, one of the things that I, I know that you do some other things, um, uh, but before we leave and we talk about something else, is there any um, design or any vision of expansion to other places in Africa? So I struggle with this um, sort of existential question every day. And I struggle with it because right. ultimately we are a Band-Aid organization. And I know there are some okay. people that are probably saying, why did she say that on the air? But we are. We are, not a, we are not an organization that is working with a ministry of education to reform a system of, you know, a system of government. And that ultimately, I believe, is what needs to happen. But I believe that the people who are going to do that are the students that we're educating right now. Um, and well, Christina, I that hold on for a minute. I'm sorry, sweetie. When you say that that's what you're doing, though, I mean, in the long run, you are shifting Uganda and Zimbabwe. And there, there's going to be a residual effect from the work that you're doing now. So when you say that that might not be the intention, but it's going to happen? Yeah, I mean, I, be I believe that the kids that we're educating today will be the policy changers and the policy makers exactly. in their respective government. And that's right. so that's, you know, so I think there is an, there is there is a long-term need and there's a short-term need and the two are very much linked. And I believe we are providing that, that link um, by educating these children. And so nice. I think that I would love to expand. I would love to expand to other sure. parts of Africa. Part of it obviously is scale and scope. You know, we are, we try to stay right. very much um, committed to the students that we sponsor. Um, but there are so many places across the world that need, that need, um, that need people to sponsor, you know, these catalysts for change as these students are. And I think I would love mm. to be able to move that forward in the future. Okay. Well, I'm supporting you on this, absolutely. But besides, um, so others may learn, you are also doing some incredible stuff right where you are, right in the um, New England area. Aren't you in Boston right now? You're in that area there around Harvard? That's right, yeah. I work actually um, – I work at the Division of Global Health and Human Rights at Massachusetts General Hospital. Um, and I'm a research uh, assistant and program coordinator, and so our division does a lot of work um, in Western Africa, in Eastern Africa. We have a base uh, in Kisumu, Kenya, and we also work locally here um, with victims of sex trafficking in the Boston area. So a lot of work going on in, the, in, the, in Mass General as well in the global health human rights arena. That's absolutely amazing, and um, I think one of the things that we don't recognize. I talk, you know, I talk very much, and I support Free the Slaves. It's a program here that's that's helping trafficking, stopping trafficking, and 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 freeing slaves. They're actually global wide, and, and when I talk to people about, they're going, "There's still slavery." I'm going. Yeah, there's slavery here in in the United States. Are you kidding me? Um, so, what type of work are you doing to help um, to help 
you know, stop the trafficking. Yeah, so I am lucky enough to work under um, the supervision of Dr. Thomas Burke, who's the chief of emergency medicine or the division of global health um, and human rights here, and Dr. Roy Ahn. And the two of them have designed um, really a program to teach emergency care providers how to um, identify victims of sex trafficking when they come in through the emergency department, uh, because we know that the majority of of victims of sex trafficking who enter the hospital at some point, and they typically will enter the hospital at some point, um, will enter through the emergency department. And so teaching providers uh, what to notice and what signs to notice to identify someone as a potential victim is really important to providing them with treatment. Um, and on the flip side of that, once they have been identified, either you know by the police or if they've self-identified and checked into a, you know a shelter or a halfway house, reintegrating them into the healthcare system in a way that is comfortable and approachable is is really important. And so, um, the sex trafficking clinic that we'll be opening is a referral-only clinic, um, and it's a, really a pilot program. But the goal is to make reentry into the healthcare system and into the primary in primary healthcare as accessible as possible. Wow. <laughs> Again, inspiring me. You, what a what a great inspiration, and what it what the work you're doing is so needed right now. So thank you. One of the things that we talk a lot about here at the shift is fitness, health, food, um, eating right, and, and your thesis was actually on malnutrition in Uganda. So it was. How does, <laughs> I, I'm like, okay, so here's this, she's talking about everything, you know, that that is very near and dear to my heart, getting nutrition to people to eat right, to feel better. Um, what are some of the things that people deal with when they are dealing with malnutrition? Yeah, so actually this is a great sort of a great link um, to really talk about between health and education. Um, I – I'm a firm believer that the two are inextricably uh, inextricably connected. Um, Amen. And I think malnutrition, Amen. Malnutrition <laughs> is one of the, one of the diseases in which this is you know really showcased. Um, so I to give you a little background, I worked in um, a small village in southwestern Uganda, Rukunjiri, um, and it's a district where malnutrition rates when we started in 2009 were were pretty exceptionally high. About 20% of the population had some form of malnutrition. But the interesting thing was that in contrast to countries like Ethiopia and Somalia, where you see malnutrition because of um, lack of geographic resources, right, droughts and famines, um, the, the area that we work in is located in the Rift Valley in a really lush part of East Africa. And so trying to figure out what the roots of malnutrition were there if they weren't due to some innate geographical barriers um, was a large part of what my thesis was on. And what we found was that and now you're going to get into a little bit of my my post-colonial um, tirade, but okay, great. I love it. I love it because, girl, we could talk about that all day long. <laughs> um, but you know, prior prior to colonialism, um, Uganda was known as the breadbasket of East Africa. Um, mm. With the advent of sharecropping and the advent of the colonial system, um, the land was really divided in an inequitable way, and the in the area that we work at least um a lot of the people who were farming the land were not able to reap the products of what they were farming and oftentimes were relying on handouts or on one or two staple foods and typically that was matoke or posha which are both carbohydrates um right. to provide and bring home for their families and you know although colonialism itself has directly left the remnants are still very much very much um present 
in the communities that we work in. And one of the ways that they're present is that you still have a diet that's very much based on starch and carbohydrate. Um, Mm -hmm. And so when we see malnutrition in the area that I work in Uganda, we do see uh, marasmus, which is what you would typically think of as the wasting uh, form of malnutrition. But what we see most of is kwashiorkor. And that's a protein deficient malnutrition that comes from not having a balanced diet. Um, now, if you talk to a lot of community members in, in Rukunjiri, they know that they're not, they know the difference. Um, they're very much aware of that. It's a question of accessibility to, to uh, nutritious foods and a question of um, financial barriers. And so understanding that and, and how malnutrition in that region functioned was really key to mobilizing the community health teams um, that we did to, to teach mothers and to try to help come up with ways to create a balanced diet on the plate so that um, children were not getting kwashiorkor. core. So if, okay, so I'm now, now you have my mind thinking here. If it's a lush part of Africa, where was all the product, where is all the product going to? Where is everything that they're farming? Where is it being? Is it, is it going out into Africa? Is it going out into other parts of the world? What's happening with, with and it feels like the raping of, a, of, of, of the country. It, well, it is to an extent. I mean, during the colonial era, it was most of it was being exported, right? You had a lot of right. a lot of wheat production, a lot of millet, um, and even now, you know, the people who are working on on the land in the area, you know, in the in the rural areas, a lot of that food is being shipped to the cities. It's being shipped within Africa, certainly, but it's being packaged and exported, and not really landing on the tables of the people who are who are growing it. Um, and so, one of the one of the aspects of our malnutrition program that we created was to start community gardens. And you see community gardens are, you know, the hot rage all over the United States right now. Um, but Very they really trendy. are. <laughs> Very trendy. Community garden, I have my collard greens growing there. Of course you do. <laughs> and trust me, I'm, I'm not bad on community gardens. I love them. I have, I have a garden in the back. I have an organic garden in the back of my house, and I believe gardening is great. But you're right; it's become very, very trendy, and it's a very, the you know, very thing to do in the cities now. So, yeah, but no, I mean, and it, but it's really important, and it's really, it's equally as important mm-hmm. to have these, um, these local gardens and sort of personal gardens in which you can grow. Right. A variety of micronutrient rich foods that are going to really enhance mm. your child's diet, um, and so that's right. that's a big part of what we stress. So, so okay, so let's go back to the problem. How do we shift that problem of not getting the foods that they are working hard on and they're 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 growing? How do we keep it into their district and where they live? Some of it, at least, let's say ten percent of it, ten or twenty percent need to stay right where it is. What, what do you think the answer is? Education. I mean, you said it earlier, Skip. Yeah. Education, is, education is empowerment. And I think being aware of the problem and being aware of what, what capacity you have as an individual in, you know, as a village health worker, as a community member, as a village leader, to be able to say, wait a second, this isn't, this isn't what's supposed to be going on. There, there's, there's a lot of food here that needs to be redistributed in a way that's equitable. Right. Um, that is only going to come if you have a population that's educated about the problem. And I think, you know, village health workers, and there are so many community members right now in Rukunjiri District who are doing incredible jobs about driving way out into these rural areas and, and educating their fellow community members on it. Um, but I think education is the way that that's really going to change. But it's, it's noted to say that your thesis actually won the Harvard Hoops Prize for Outstanding Research. 
Um, tell, what is the, I have, this is the first time I've ever heard of the Harvard Hoops Prize. What is that? <laughs> Sounds like a basketball, <laughs> a basketball <Yeah>. prize. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, a number of species are awarded the Hoops Prize. Um, it's just for, um, you know, academic achievement and scholarly work um, for your senior thesis. And so it's, it's published in, in Harvard's library for, um, you know, for a few years, and then it's sort of put in the archives. But it's not, not definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> but it really proves, I mean, it really um, makes that, that statement of the work that you put in and your dedication to researching and finding information and then not just writing about it, but how can we make a difference? And that's what I'm, I'm, I'm really inspired by. So congratulations on that. We, we like to end our show here at The Shift by asking our guests, what does the shift mean to you? And it could be something personal, it could be something global, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. But what does the shift mean for you? To me, I think the shift means shifting perspective from local to global. And if you want to view that as local to global geographically, that's fine. Mm -hmm. I, I view it more in an even broader sense. Um, I view shifting from sort of, uh, and to steal a, a um, <laughs> to steal a phrase from somebody else, sort of a me to we mentality. Mm. Um, I think that we are all part of an incredible ecosystem, um, and that ecosystem involves not just not just other humans, but the planet as a whole. And understanding that you are part of an incredible dynamic ecosystem and have a responsibility to keep that ecosystem going um, is what really is what really shifts. I think a mindset from one of sort of self-centeredness to one of really being a part of something bigger. Wow, that's great. What, what What is your vision? Do you have a vision for the work that you're doing on this planet? Do you have a personal vision, something that's your personal intention? I um, Oh, gosh, I, I have a lot. Um, I think <laughs> – That's okay. Say it. <laughs> it's great. I would – you know, I think um, for me, the link between health and education is so critical, and it's something that I really would like to devote my life to to alleviating and to and to strengthening. Um, I think the first step towards having an educated population that can change the world is making sure that they're healthy and are at their full potential to do so. You know, I think you mentioned actually on one of your earlier shows the importance of self-care and that you need to take care of yourself before you can take care of other people. Um, and as a doctor and as someone who wants to go into medicine, I want to help people do that so that they can be their best selves when they're educated and learning. Um, but ultimately, that's what I would love to devote my time to. I've been so fortunate to have an incredible education um, at Harvard with the African Studies Department and at Breck School, my high school, which is really, you know, the stage for a lot of the service-related activities I did. Um, and I would love to stay involved in education um, for the rest of my life. So, and you are now entering, are you entering med medical school now, or what, what is your next, what's your next step to making this so happen? So, I'll be applying, I'll be applying to medical school and, um, for entering to 2016, so fingers crossed, I will hopefully fingers be crossed. a doctor. <laughs> I'm sending some great vibes into the universe for that to happen, and um, do you have in mind of what school you're, you're thinking about uh, entering in, or where you know, would you like to go? To go I'm from Minnesota originally, and I would love to go to the University of Minnesota. Um, they have an, an incredible uh, clinical program, and they also do a lot right. of work with uh, Native American communities on the reservations up north, and I would love to become a part right. of that. Um, yeah. That, that is so awesome. And I, I, listen, I know you will not have a problem doing whatever you decide to do 
amazing. I, I'm just very inspired and blessed to have had you on our show today. And where can people get in contact with you for others may learn so they can donate? I know you're on Twitter and you're on Facebook. Um, so give us the rundown of, of where people can connect with you. Great. So others may learn the best place to go is our website. Um, so others may learn.org. You can donate directly on the page. You can write a check to our organization directly. Um, my contact information is also all there and I'm really accessible. So if you have, if anyone listening has any questions or wants to talk about education or so others may learn or anything, you know, you can contact me directly. Um, we really, I really like to keep, keep in touch with our donors and make sure that they feel like, um, that they are part of a part of this shift um, in transformation and in education. So, yeah, Facebook, Twitter, definitely our website. Um, all great ways to stay in touch. Okay, I'm, we're going to stay in touch. You and I will definitely be in touch about how I can really support through through the show that I'm doing here and the work that I'm doing. I am I'm really really blessed and um, thankful for the work that you're doing, and I support you. And thank you again for spending time here at the shift with Skip, and I'm just really grateful for that. Thank you, Christina. Peace and blessings, my dear, and um, good luck with everything. <laughs> good thank luck you with so everything. Much. Thank you for it. Your, it's, I mean. Go ahead. I'm still on. It's just people like you that give us, um, that give organizations like the Mothers May Learn voice, and I can't thank you enough for the opportunity to do this today. Oh, thank you so much, my dear. All right, guys, be the shift that you want to see in your own life. Remember, check it out here at The Shift with Skip. You can go on my website, skipjennings.com. Find out how you can give to all of our organizations that we support. Until next time, until next week, we'll talk to you soon. Peace and blessings. <laughs>